Hello, and welcome to the Sola Gratia Sermons Podcast. I'm so glad that you decided to drop in today. I pray that you enjoy this sermon and that God, through His Word, convicts you, encourages you, and edifies you. I also pray that this sermon increases your knowledge of God and grows your love for Him and His Scripture. God bless you and keep you. Soli Deo Gloria. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. Huge surprise, I know. Still in chapter 2, Zach. <laughs> We're working through it, verse by verse, and there's so much goodness here to be had. I t- entitled this sermon, Loving What God Loves, and I hope that will become apparent as we work through this passage. Our Lord Jesus declared to the crowds a shocking statement in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. Shocking, and uh, probably would not be well accepted nowadays um, by our world, by the state that we find ourselves in. And he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me also cannot be my disciple. He was, of course, making it clear, abundantly clear, that it is not easy being a disciple of Christ. We must count the cost. We must count the sacrifice. We must endure ridicule, tribulation, and hardship. Or in Oklahoma speak, it ain't no cakewalk, right? Our love for the things, and yes, even the people in this world, must pale in comparison to our love for God, right? All of those things in earthly relationships He was saying our worth giving up in order that in order to be in right relationship with our Lord who gave himself as a ransom for us. So I say all that by by way of introduction to give a backdrop of what John says here as we continue in first John two. We see yet another moral test which shows whether or not one truly knows God and in this test. We see that if one belongs to God and loves God, they will not love the world. And we'll flesh that out as we work through. In other words, if the love of the Father is in you, if you abide in God, then your desires will be for God and for seeking his kingdom, not this world and not the riches of this world. So what we'll see here is I, I just have two points for you this week. So you, you get a freebie from the usual three. <laughs> Do not love the world. Number one, we'll see that love for the world is ungodly. Love for the world is ungodly. And number two, we'll see that love for the world is fleeting. It's fleeting, temporal, temporary, finite. So if you would, please stand with me and we'll read this passage together. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life or possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would cause me to preach the truth of your word, that you would give me strength, Lord, and that you would go out in the power of your Holy Spirit and you would speak to hearts, that you would change hearts, that you would encourage hearts, the people of your body, Lord. I pray that you would overshadow this message with your cross and that it would become evident that we are to not love the world, but we are to love you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in the previous sections, the immediate context of what we're dealing here with here, we have seen that a love for God produces a few things. We see that it produces fruits, fruits of obedience and growing in holiness. Throats dried out this morning, forgive me. And then we saw the command to love and the contrast between love or hate for brother and likewise between light and darkness. John's been doing this throughout the whole epistle. Now John, after addressing various stages of spiritual maturity there in verses 12 through 14, he moves on to describe a love that is not good. You mean there's a love that's actually not good? Well, yes, that's what he's saying here. Do not love the world. There is a love that is actually uh, commanded to not participate in. You could even call it a hatred, if you will, but we'll flesh that out. The whole of Scripture declares that God, as our creator, is worthy of our love. Amen? The whole of Scripture tells us that. And we know that a love for God results many times in a hatred for the things that are against God. A hatred for evil and against wickedness and the things that blaspheme our Lord. Not in the sense that we just live a life of hatred and angry animosity. That's not what we're saying at all, of course. That's not how we live but that we actively oppose the things of the world that are in opposition to God and his righteous kingdom. We actively oppose those things and we're abhorred by those things. 
that hate God and that are against him. Several examples in the Old Testament, Psalm 97, verse 10, hate evil, you who love the Lord. So if you love the Lord, there are things apparently you must hate. Wow, this is a super encouraging message, Zach. Thank you for this. <laughs> Bear with me, okay? Psalm 119, verse 104, several verses from Psalm 119. Verse 104, from your precepts or your laws, your things that you command, I gain understanding, David says. Therefore, I hate every evil way. In verse 113 of that same psalm, I hate those who are double-minded, the wickedness, but I love your law. In verse 128, I esteem or love all your precepts, but I hate every false way. And 163, I hate and despise lies and falsehood, but I love your law. I love your law, he says. So the absolute love of God demands an absolute hatred, as David shows here in these Psalms, for the things that God cannot love, because they go against his holy character, those things that are evil and wicked. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are indeed an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We don't often like talking about things that the Lord hates, but it's in scripture. We have to address it, right? And I say all this by way of introduction of speaking of what we are to not love and the, a love that is ungodly. There are other examples throughout scripture that the Lord hates wickedness just, just categorically. He despises idolatry, that is worship of anything or anyone other than himself. Idolatry hypocrisy, false religions. God is indeed a God of love. Scripture tells us that, which then necessitates that there are things that he hates, and those are the things that are in contradiction to himself, that are contradiction to his love, to his character, his holiness, those things that dishonor him, that blaspheme him, and we likewise should not love those things. So we see that number one, love for the world is ungodly. Ungodly. We saw godly love earlier in chapter two from what we covered the past couple weeks. The verses one through 11 essentially called us to a godly love and a godly fellowship. This is demonstrated by obedience to God, right? Growing in holiness and love for our brothers, our sisters, neighbors, the church body in general, we are indeed called to love, therefore. But in verse 15 here, we see that we are called also not to love. There are things which we should not love. This is a love that is inappropriate, that's ungodly. 
He covers a few things that it's a selfish love, a prideful love, a fleshly love, those things of the world. But we can notice the, the contrast here. There's the positive love throughout the chapter. In verse 5 and verse 10, we see in verse 5, he says, But whoever keeps his word, the word of God, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And then in verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So that's verse 5 and 10 as examples. We are, yes, to love God and love each other. But we see here in verse 15 that there is also a negative. So there's the positive, and here's the negative. Do not, the negative, do not love the world or the things in the world. And he gives examples of what that looks like, doesn't he, in the following verses. He says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, depending on what your translation says there, it may say, or pride of life, or pride in possessions. He's speaking of a, a boastful pride in one's achievements. And my, my trophies, my possessions, the things that I have gained, the pride of life. Do not love these things. Why are we told, do not love these things? Well, first, I think it's a good question to ask of, of what is the difference between us and the world? That helps us kind of understand this, right? Between the church and the world. What's the difference? In 1 John chapter 4, just a couple chapters from here in verses 4 through 6, John says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, that being the world, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We just covered that verse in Sunday school class. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's in 1 John 4. So notice the he who is in you, that's referring to the Holy Spirit, of course. He who is in you and he who is in the world, referring to Satan and all of his minions and all of those who are evil. Notice that difference. Those who are of God, they know God. They listen to us, he says. But those who are not of God do not listen to us. Those who are of the world, they do not, they cannot listen to us apart from a work of God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Apart from a work of God, a changing work on the heart of man. So because you, believer, are of God and not of the world, you see that a love for the world, that being this evil world system that we have around us, is ungodly. Amen? A love for this evil world. As a matter of application regarding what I just read in 1 John 4 there, to you as believers, do not be surprised when the world hates you. It will happen sooner or later. 
Don't be surprised when they revile you, when they do not listen to you. As John just said in chapter 4, you cannot love the world as it loves itself because you are not of this world. This world is not your home, not eternally. You cannot love the world as it loves itself. So in doing so, the world is, of course, only doing what is expected, right? Of course, we believers are of God and the unbelievers are of the world. And therefore, they listen to the world system and to liars, Scripture says. They listen to the lies of this world. The nature of the world is in violent opposition to the kingdom of God, right? We see that all around us, violent opposition. We just spoke about that this morning regarding Afghanistan and other areas of the world. You see the violence and the opposition. By nature, the world is hostile towards God, hostile to Christ, hostile to godliness, hostile to you. It will be. So do not lose heart or lose hope when the world persecutes you. They're only doing what is expected. They're doing what is in them by nature. Our hope is that God is still sovereign and the blinded, dark world is only doing what is expected and ultimately they are still serving his sovereign purposes. Even Satan He's sovereign over all. He will accomplish his purposes in saving his people and reconciling all things to himself. Remember Jesus in John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He's praying for his church, the believers, those who love God, those who are of God. I love the way Steve Lawson put it one time. He said, listen, you're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. Light or dark, there is no gray area. There are no fence sitters in the kingdom of God. No fence sitters. Jesus said, the world does not love you because you are not of this world. The world shares no common ground with the church of God, with the kingdom of God. First John chapter five, verses four and five tells us that whoever has been born of God, they overcome the world and we have victory by what? Our faith and overcoming the world by our belief in Jesus, the son of God, and by him, Christ, is the only way we accomplish or overcome anything. All through Christ. He accomplishes it. But we have to try to understand this. In what way is John using this word world in verse 15? We've heard that word about 37 times this morning. World. The base word for this cosmos can have many different usages in many different contexts. And the context in which we're reading determines the meaning I think I've said it before that John uses this word world in at least 10 different ways throughout his gospel writing and his epistle writings. This word does sometimes refer to the physical world 
Acts 17, verse 24, for instance, says that God made the world and everything in it. Amen? We affirm that. He made the world and everything in it. We are to see this creation, this magnificent thing that he has made, and give him glory for it. Amen? To praise him for his common grace that we have here on earth, that we have plentiful things, that we have food. What a beautiful world. It's a gift from God. So it is not that world that we are to hate. We can love and appreciate God's physical, magnificent world here and glorify him because of what he's made, right? And we do glorify him for that. This is why we so vehemently press against godless materialistic views such as evolution and others like it, which says nothing plus no one equals everything. Makes so much sense, right? Uh, this is illogical nonsense, and it seeks to give God zero glory. But we do glorify God for his creation, manifesting himself and his majesty in a wonderful way in creating this world for us to live in. He deserves all the glory, all the credit. So this is not the sense in which John is using the word world, obviously. He's not saying, hate this physical world on which you live. So what is this world that we're told not to love? Well, based on verse 16, it seems clear that he is speaking of several things. He speaks of the desirable things of this world, right? He speaks of temporal things, physical things and possessions. And he is also speaking of this evil world system. How do I know that? Well, John 15, verses 18 through 19, in the Gospel of John, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, pay attention to the usage of that word, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We were chosen out of the world. 1 John 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You see what I'm getting at with this evil world system. This is not to say, of course, that Satan is sovereign over the world or really anything, honestly. Our peace is that... Uh, the only one who is ultimately sovereign over all things is God. He's even sovereign over the devil. I love what R.C. Sproul said one time. He said, there is a devil, but he is God's devil, and he's on a leash, and he's only allowed to do what God permits him to do. Amen? That's our peace. But there is a sense in, in which the evil one, Satan, has some amount of control over this evil world system. He involves the whole human race of unsaved, unregenerate people in this evil system. He and all of his minions, he has been given a certain amount of power. That's what Ephesians 2.2 says, that we were all once operating under the power of the prince of the power of the air, right? But then the verses that follow, some of my favorite verses, but God, 
who was rich in mercy. He made you alive. He pulled you out from under that evil influence, pulled you out of this evil world system, out from under the influence of the evil one, and he transferred you from darkness to the kingdom of light. God did that. So John is speaking of, in his usage of this word world, the evil spiritual system of this world. All of that which is in complete opposition towards God, full of sin and wickedness because of the fall, we are to not love that system. We are to be separate from it. Amen? Called out for a purpose. He says, if you do love the world and these things, this evil world system, then the love of the Father is not in you. Again, the, this is the negative test, that being that a true Christian must not be characterized by an ungodly love for the world over God. We must love God more than the world. Amen? We are to love him above all else, thus proving that the love of the Father is in us. Do you see? Number two, we see that love for the world is fleeting. It's fleeting. What do I mean? It's, it's transient. It's temporary. Brief. It is short-lived. It is momentary. This life is described as a vapor in Scripture, right? Here, one moment, gone the next. The grass withers, the flower fades away. Love for this world is fleeting. That's what he says in verse 17. The world is passing away. It's passing away. The Greek here means to, to lead away or to simply pass by something. Just pass right on by. Something that's transient. Temporal, short-lived. Not only is the world passing away, he says, but also its desires, that being its lusts, its pleasures. The world and all these things are passing away. Now, in noting that the world is passing away, what is he not saying here? What is he not telling us to do? Because John is not saying well, because the world is passing away, there's no need to love people and there's no point to living or anything else. Just give up now. There's no point. <laughs> That's, of course, not what John is saying. The world's passing away anyway. Just give up. Of course not. This would, of course, contradict what he already commanded us to do in chapter 2, to love God, to obey him, pursue him, to love our brethren, brethren. Of course, he's not telling us that there's no need to love people. Just forget about it. The world's passing away. He's not saying that we should not love people within the world, right? We are, of course, told to have compassion upon those in the world, to love them by telling them the truth of the gospel, telling them the truth of this God who is rich in mercy, we are to go out into the world and make disciples as well. That's the mandate of the church. So obviously he's not telling us to hate everyone in the world or to avoid them or, or just do nothing. Of course, how else would we then make disciples? 
So, of course, he's not saying that. After all, going into the world with the mind of obedience and making disciples, that is doing the will of God, as John mentions in the second half of verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, part of that will of God is showing compassion upon those who are lost and telling them the truth, making disciples. So if he's not saying that, then what is John saying? Well, what John is saying in part is do not commit idolatry. We see a little bit of that here. The Christian who loves God must have an absence of love for the things and the pleasures and the wickedness of this world because all of those things are passing away. All of them. Instead, Christians should be characterized by a love for God. A love for God that far exceeds their love for anything else in this fleeting world. That's passing away. Everything in this world is temporal, but God and the inheritance we have in him as believers, that's eternal. Some of our beloved brothers and sisters are already experiencing that eternal peace, that inheritance. You see, if one's affections and devotions are focused only on this world, the things of this world, the possessions, their pride, then John says the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. All of these things of the world, everything it has to offer is falling away, fading away. Jesus says moths will eat that, rust will eat it, and fire will eat it. All of it. But instead, our desires should be what? Obeying, loving God, and doing his will. His work of the kingdom. Amen? Seek first the kingdom of God and what? All these things will be added unto you. What is our priority? To abide in God. To seek after God, his kingdom. The desire of the true Christian must not be for this fleeting world. Our lives instead should show a desire to obey and participate in the will of God, as he says in verse 17 there. Whoever does the will of God, abide in his will. We should reflect the prayer of Christ when he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our lives should be a reflection of that prayer. Amen. Or does our life show a desire for this world and the things in it? Listen, I know, <laughs> I get it, that it can be easy, so easy for us in our fallen state. I've fallen into it many times to love the world over God, to put God in second place. It can likewise be difficult for us to prioritize our relationship with God over all these otherworldly things. We can always find an excuse to spend our time elsewhere, right? I've failed at this thousands of times. Whatever it may be of the thousands of 
incredible distractions in our modern world. Oh, the latest, newest show is out on Netflix or whatever it may be, you know. Let's, let's binge watch it and watch the whole thing and just envelop my life with it. What's going to happen next? I'm not saying it's, it's an evil thing to appreciate a, a show or a good drama or whatever the case may be. But is it consuming your life? Are you prioritizing these other things, whatever it may be, over your relationship with God? Do not love the world. It's so easy to prioritize everything else, isn't it? Physical things, our careers, relationships, activities, money, pleasure. It's so easy. I know. But as a believer, we must make it a priority to grow in love for God. A love for holiness, his wisdom, that's the mark of a believer. Amen? The mark of one that loves him, seeks after him, makes it a priority to grow in these things. Not to be saved, but because we love God and because we are saved. And these things come forth as a fruit. We do these things because we believe what verse 17 says, that the one who truly belongs to God, the one obeying, doing his will, the one that shows that genuine fruit of salvation abides forever. They live forever with God. So although we currently live in this temporal fallen world, it's the only world that we know, guys. We're not going to Mars anytime soon. <laughs> Maybe someday. This is the world we know. And we understand that love for this world is fleeting. It's temporal. So believer, my encouragement to you today is remember where your true love abides. That it is in God. Keep the faith, run the race, as Paul says, and trust in Almighty God. Amen? Trust in Him. We have to recognize the implications of this passage for the gospel itself as well. Those who love this fleeting world are short-sighted. Amen? Short-sighted. They want to be satisfied now. I want to be honored now. I need it now. That's our world of Google, right? It's short-sighted, but in contrast, those who love the Father, who love God, they have a long-term perspective, amen? Looking forward to what is coming. They abide in him, know that he will abide in them, knowing that they will abide and live with him eternally in his love and in his presence unfathomable reward and inheritance with God. That's what we look forward to. So we do this work of the kingdom here on earth, keeping our eyes on the prize, only looking forward to meeting our Lord Jesus, who accomplished all the work necessary for your salvation on that cross. Amen? We don't love this world or the things in this world, its desires and its pride and its evil system that's at enmity with God. Instead, we love the God who chose us out of this world. 
He pulled you out. We love this gracious God who condescended in humility and humiliation and took on flesh. He lived a perfect life among us, perfectly fulfilling the law of God. We love this God who then went to a cross, perfect and innocent of any crime. This gracious God who then died the death that I should have died. Amen. This Christ, the Messiah, who took the wrath of God upon that cross. And then he said, it is finished. And three days later, he rose again. Victorious over death and the enemy. Justifying, Paul says, the ungodly. Like you and like me. This almighty God who condescended and accomplished salvation for all those who would ever believe. The question is, do you believe in this Jesus Christ? Are you believing in him today? Have you placed your faith and trust and hope in him alone, not in your good works, not in this world? Are you trusting in him and his righteousness or are you loving the world? Trying to, to advance your own little temporary kingdom of pride and possessions and desires. Scripture says all of those things will pass away. All of them. I plead with you today. If you are far from God, trust in Christ alone and his finished work on the cross confess him as lord believe and trust in his perfect life death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and for justification he has done it amen he has accomplished what you and i could never accomplish If you are not united to Christ by faith, then the scripture says you will stand before the almighty judge on that last day with nothing but your filthy rags. And he will say, depart from me. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I pray that's not true of anyone here. But listen, the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for believers too. We need it every day. We need to be reminded of what he has accomplished and what he has done. And when we are reminded of that, we remember to love him, love God over the world. Do not love the world. As the Apostle Peter said, there is salvation in no other name. There is no other way by which man may be saved. It's in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord God, you are sovereign ruler over this universe. I pray, Lord, that if there are those here who are trusting in themselves, who are loving the world more than love for you, 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would go out in conviction. Lord, that you would draw us back to yourself by your grace, by your mercy, that you would bring us back to you, Lord, that we would remember what is most important, love for you, serving you, obeying you, abiding in you, not the world. And God, because we love you, let us go out to that world and show compassion on people, on those in the world that do not know you. Let us be bold to tell them the truth out of love and compassion for them. God, I pray that you would do this work by the power of your Holy Spirit in your people. In Jesus' name, amen.